Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from this Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, it's the last week of February, and we have another great show for you. I'll speak with the new Union men's lacrosse coach, Derek Winifred, as he takes over for the legendary Paul Wareham. It's time to get to know another new member of the Daily Gazette Recorder sports staff. He has been working as a sports writer with the Amsterdam Recorder since 1999 and been sports editor there for the last 12 years. And he'll be sharing some stories about covering boxer Mike Tyson. Here's uh, Paul Antonelli. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Daily Gazette. I know you've been here a couple months already, but it's a great chance to get to catch up with you here and uh, talk about yourself. No, it's, it's great to be here. Uh, I mean, obviously, I... Uh... You know, come from the Anthony Recorder, and it's definitely a uh, you know a challenge to be here at the Gazette. I'm very excited to be here, and you know, a lot of great people here, a lot of talented people, and uh, you know, just looking to do what I can to make this a better product. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not that talented, so I'm <laughs> sorry you had to. Play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, what you know, you said you've been working at the Recorder since 1999. What got you into sports writing? What you what uh, piqued your interest in becoming a sports writer? Well, what happened was I, I, I was going to University of Albany. I majored in political science and journalism, and I was all set to go to law school. And I said, you know, and it was a job that came up for the Casco Daily Mail. And at that time, Mike Tyson was starting to come on the professional boxing scene. He was still an amateur at the time. And I said, you know, let me let me try it out. And uh, so I, I, you know, I got the job and uh, I became, uh, you know, I got really close to Mike and you know, ended up really basically following him, covering him exclusively for about a 13-year period. What was that like uh, being around Tyson and uh, Kevin Rooney, although before Don King and all those guys got involved? Uh, it was a, a circus. You know, every day was different. And uh, my job is I, I actually was a syndicated boxing columnist for a lot of the international publications because at that time there was no Internet, uh, there was no cell phones. And Mike was not that cooperative with media. And so I was kind of like the go, you know, in between. And uh, so I got a lot of my stories a week. I did a weekly column. A lot of it was on Tyson. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, interesting well, stuff. Well, I mean, well, I, I'll well, give well, you an you well, example. I mean, within reason. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah. right. Uh, I mean, I covered close to 50 of his fights. Uh, the last fight I ever covered was the night he bit Evander Holyfield's ear off in 1997. And uh, the reason why I said this is it for me was because right after the fight, I uh, walked into the MGM uh, Grand Lobby and a guy to my left started, pulled out a gun and he started firing shots. And then there were shots coming in my direction. And I said, you know, I got to hide. So I hit behind like a kitchen sink while the shots were going back and forth. And at the time, I just just, just got engaged, and uh, we were, you know, planning to have a family. I said, you know, this is getting to be a little bit crazy because the fight before, Tupac Shakur had gotten shot and killed on the strip right after Tyson Selden. So I said, you know, I gotta I gotta go in another direction. And uh, I, I told Mike, you know, listen, uh, <laughs> this is it for me. And a lot of the people that were around him changed, and it was, uh, you know, not a good thing at the time. But seeing him coming up the way he did and how powerful he was, um, what was it like to you mean? Could you 
did you just see him being undefeated heavyweight champion for his career at that point before everything fell apart? I thought on the night of June 27, 1988, and I get goosebumps talking about it, he was the greatest fighter of all time, and that's the night he knocked out Spinks in 91 seconds. And I'll give you a quick story about the Spinks fight. We were in the locker room before the fight, and Mike is sitting in his chair, and his trainer, Kevin Rooney, was wrapping Mike's gloves. And he basically all done, all wrapped up. In comes Butch Lewis, who at the time was Michael Spinks' manager. Uh, he said, you know, listen, you got to unwrap it. I don't know what's in those gloves. You know, we... So, you know, about a minute or two later, someone from the New Jersey State Athletic Commission came in and said, Mike, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to unwrap the glove. Mike was calm, didn't move, didn't say a word. Kevin unwrapped the glove. Nothing was showing in his fist, wrapped it back up again. Mike gets out of the chair on his way to the ring, goes over to the wall with his fist, with his right fist, with a glove, puts a punch right through the sheetrock. Sheetrock goes flying all over the place. And Rooney wow. called Rooney said to me, This is gonna be a short night. And he went out, it was 91 seconds. Wow. And then, you know, the previous fight, you know, we're talking about stories. You know, he fought Larry no, actually it was Tubbs and then Larry Holmes. Uh this was like three or four days before the fight. And I said, Mike, Mike, what did you do last night? And he said, Well, I I went out and I begged for quarters. I said, What do you mean? He goes, I went, you know, went to the bus station and his you know, with his bodyguard, and he begged for money with a ski mask on, and it just gave him that thuggery mentality when he went into the ring. And uh, it was just, you know, he's just a really, really interesting character. And, you know, like I said, I covered his fight. I went to the both fights in Tokyo and Las Vegas. I mean, the Douglas fight was a bizarre scene. Yeah, yeah I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, that night, I mean, it happened overnight here, obviously, in the United States, and yeah. just caught everyone off guard. I mean, how shocking was that to be in person and see it happen live? It was quiet. It was really quiet, you know, and we knew the Japanese crowd was quiet because he had fought there about two years earlier against Tony Tubbs. And, but it was just eerie, you know, Mike, you know, leading up to the fight got knocked down and during training, uh, Greg Page knocked him down. So he was not himself. He wasn't moving his head. He got rid of Rooney uh, and you know, Mike was basically in it for the payday and it was, it was shocking. It was really shocking. And the thing I remember about that fight was again, in the locker room after the fight, you know, Rory Holloway, who was one of Tyson's, he was a co-manager at the time said, Mike, you got to take this phone call. And Mike, goes, I don't want to talk to anybody. And, and Roy said, you got to take this phone call. And, and, and Mike goes, who, who is it? And Rory said, it's Nelson Mandela. He just got released from South Africa prison, and he wanted to talk to Mike and give him, you know, some positive, you know, some positive wow. words. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it seemed at that point Tyson's career sort of spiraled out of control. Do you blame Don King for that? I. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, first Tyson never really needed a promoter. You know, and during that whole time, it was basically Robin Givens, Ruth Roper. You know, Donald Trump was one of the managers who oversaw Tyson's career. And then uh, then obviously Don King. And and Don was, you know, you know, Kevin Rooney would call him a con man because Don's philosophy was make the unbelievable believable. So his whole philosophy was, you know, well, let's try to sell this mismatch to the public and make it believable so they'll buy it. So... You know, it's 
you know, I think his career really went downhill when he got rid of Kevin Rooney because he got rid of the custom model peekaboo style. He stopped moving his head uh, because what made Tyson so dangerous was he couldn't hit him. He was very hard to hit. And, uh, and I think that really was kind of the beginning of his downfall, you know, the, the night after really he knocked out space. I mean, he sort of carved out a second career for himself. I mean, he seems to be more friendly. Um, uh, it was on Broadway, I believe. And he's, and I know this is kind of strange, but on Cartoon Network, he has the Mike Tyson mysteries, which is a take off of the yeah, Scooby-Doo yeah. mysteries. I mean, how do you see him now? Boy, he'll be the first one to tell you that he's lucky to be alive. I, some of the stuff that he did while he was heavyweight champion and and eventually later on, I mean, he'll be the first one to tell you. But, you know, now he's, you know, he's extremely popular. I mean, you know, he's friendly. Uh, he's very polite. Uh, it's just, this is not the Mike Tyson that we knew, you know, 20, 30 years ago, he kind of reinvented himself and it probably started with the hangover movie. And from there on, it's just, you know, it's just a totally different person and, uh, you know, good for him. Good for him. I hear you do a mean impression of both, uh, Tyson and Cooney. Uh, you care to Kevin share? Rooney, uh, Rooney, yeah, yeah, Rooney, yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh gosh! I'll, I'll ask you a question. What did, What do you think about Mike Tyson's uh, chances against uh, Ken Norton? I don't know. Just so with, with Kevin Rooney. Yeah. Uh, Mike, well, Mike, Mike, Mike's a, Mike's a good fighter. I mean, he he moves his head, you know. And that, that's the problem with these guys now. They don't move. You know, they they're in it for the payday. And and you know, uh, you know, put that in your story. Put that in your story. <laughs> that's funny. And uh, I'll maybe ask you a question. Does Mike Tyson? Uh, Mike, what was the key to the knockout against Spinks in 91 seconds? He, listen, I'm the greatest fight in the world. <laughs> I mean, these, these, these guys with their primitive skills, you know, they, they, they're no match for me. You know, bring, bring them all more comers. You know, I don't care. I'm the best. <laughs> That's great. The best. That's great. Uh, now, we said you've been at the recorder since 1999. Uh, what memorable stories have you covered there? Well, uh, I mean, Amsterdam, the 2005 uh, state title football, you know, the, the Amsterdam state title in 2005 was a memorable story. Uh, I tell you one thing, this is going back to boxing. There was a guy, oh, boy, Carmen Basilio. Mm -hmm. I had just had surgery on, uh, like, a back surgery. And I go to, I'm going to do a story on Basilio. He's, I don't know, in his mid to late 80s. And he punches me so hard. <laughs> and and then, then the guy next to me goes, oh, that's good, that's good. That means he, he likes you, he likes you. <laughs> but I, I always remember that. Uh, but, you know, we, what we do is we try to cover everything. We do a really good job covering Montgomery County, Fulton County. Uh, obviously, we did a lot with Amsterdam Sports, uh, and, you know, and yeah. – now you're here at the Gazette. Uh, you've been you're writing the column. In fact, just uh, covered um, Gabby Douglas on Tuesday at Union College. Uh, wh what was that like covering her? I mean, I, I know there was an immediate availability, right. but uh, um, what did she talk about? What, what impressed you about her? Uh, I think she's ready to, to hang it up. I, I really think she's ready for that second career. And just, you know, she sounds like, you know, she doesn't miss gymnastics and the grind of getting up early every morning and training. I think she uh, she's really enjoying inspiring the young people of today, and I think uh, I think she's on the right path. And uh, last week also, Amsterdam High School named a new football coach. Uh, your thoughts about that? Oh, John Homich is going to be a great addition to that program. I mean, he's uh, 
he's worked at every level at the school and, you know, he's a teacher in the district and, uh, and he's really enthusiastic. And you're going to see, I think you're going to see that program, I think, go back to what it used to be uh, under like Pat Laverio and before him with Frank DeRico. Well, Paul, appreciate a few minutes of great uh, stories about Mike Tyson, great imitations of him and, uh, and uh, Rooney, uh, Rooney, I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, yeah, Kevin Rooney. Yeah. I'm like, sure, I guess Cooney and yeah. Rooney. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Kevin and all that stuff. But uh, appreciate it. We'll uh, do this down the line. Okay, right? thanks, Kevin. Okay. That's uh, Paul Antonelli. We'll be back with uh, Union College uh, men's lacrosse coach uh, Derek Whitterford. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back on the Parting Shots podcast. My next guest began his inaugural season as the head coach of the Union College men's lacrosse team on Wednesday, taking over for the legendary Paul Wareham. He played for the Dutchman from 2007 to 2011. He joined the Dutchman coaching staff in 2013. Now he gets to run the program. He got his first win as head coach on Wednesday when the Dutchman routed Endicott 12-2. Here is Derek Whitteford. Well, Derek, thanks for coming on uh, on the podcast, and uh, congratulations on taking over the program. Thanks. It's great to be here, Ken. Well, talk about them. I mean, you, you played for Paul uh, Wareham uh, and you coached with him. What did you learn from him uh, in your years with him? Oh, I, we don't have enough time on the podcast to go over all no, the stuff. No, yeah, go that, ahead. Uh, we got plenty of time. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go for I, it. I, I learned so much from the guy. Um, you know, uh, most of it not lacrosse or related. Um, you know, he's just an inspirational mentor, um, you know, friend of mine, father figure. Um, and he's the same to a lot of these guys that I have on the team right now. So, um, you know, what he does and what he brought to the program goes beyond lacrosse. And, um, you know, I think that's really his lasting impact. And, you know, I, I still miss the guy um, today, you know, um, just being in the office talking about, you know, politics or the weather or his taxes or, you know, his, his family, everything like that. So, um, you know, but, but really it's, it's the biggest thing that I've learned from him is just how much coaching is, is involves relationships and, and how much these matter. What was it like to play for him versus being on his coaching staff? It, it, it wasn't much different. Um, you know, he was the boss, and what he said goes. But um, he, he really trusted his assistants um, and let them make uh, decisions on, on the coaching. And, and then when you played for him, he always said this is a coach's game. You know, this, isn't a, play, uh, this is a player's game, not a coach's game. And, um, you know, he, he let his guys play. He let them have creativity. Um, we didn't we didn't do too much structured, um, you know, stuff in practice and neither in games. Uh, he wanted the players to showcase their skills, um, you know, so then that, that went with his coaching staff as well. I know, I know you mentioned just a few minutes, a couple seconds ago, about the fact that he was you know, more than just a lacrosse coach. I know I talked to him many times about his um, – and the impact that – uh, he had it in college. I mean, learning about the environment and what he has done over at Union, you know, you know with the stuff, yeah, you know, post game uh, after the uh, tailgate, post game parties, making sure he separates recyclables and all that stuff. I mean, that's the kind of thing that maybe as a player, to coach, assistant coach, you you, you see that it's like, wow, the guy just cares more, cares a lot more than just about lacrosse. It's it, it, it really does, you know, and uh, 
Uh, I'm proud to say that we've, we're still continuing in that tradition. You know, the first day on campus, um, uh, our freshmen were taking part in a recycling initiative on campus that uh, recycled, you know, and was sorting through trash and, um, and most importantly, getting the recyclables out of the trash and, and putting them in. So uh, we're very proud of the efforts that, that we've made on that first day. And uh, I wish we had the amount that we've um, recycled that day, but it's, it's almost it's over a ton you know, of recycled materials on freshman moving day. Yeah, that's amazing. That's truly amazing. Uh, what led you into coaching? Did you ever, when you were playing, did you ever think about, oh, I want to be a coach one day? Yeah, well, I, I always liked teaching. Um, I was always thinking about being a teacher and a coach. And, um, you know, I actually got into playing lacrosse at a very late age. I didn't even know I'd be doing it in college. Um, you know, but once I got here um, at Union and Coach Wareham really um, – you know, got got his hands on me. I was able to, um, you know, really fall in love with the game, and and I knew it's something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, you obviously take over a program that went fourteen and four last year. Uh, what what what's talk about the team a little bit? What what were the expectations this year? Obviously, you you want to try to get that Liberty League and knock RIT off it off its perch. Yeah, I mean, we play in a very tough league, and we play a very tough out of league schedule, and and we do that on purpose. Um, we do that so we can hopefully, um, if we don't win the league, we can get a pool C bid, which we've been lucky enough to get um, last year. Um, so, so you got to challenge yourself out of league. But our, our goals are always going to be the same that they were when Coach Warren was here, which is win our first game. We want to qualify for the Liberty League tournament and hopefully get a home seed um, in the Liberty League, Liberty League uh, tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, you returned uh, eight all-conference selections from last season. Uh, talk about some of the players that are coming back and their impact on uh, maybe making this team uh, a challenge for the Liberty League title. Yeah, well, we got, it starts with our seniors, as it always does. Um, you know, and, and we got a first-year goalie stepping in, taking over for Jackson Tilly, who has done a tremendous job so, uh, thus far in our seasons. And then we had a scrimmage versus Amherst on Saturday, which is a uh, – um, you know, top three team in the country. We lost the national championship game last year, um, and, and he's been playing very well um, in this role. So we're very happy with what we've been seeing from him. Um, our captain's Kerry Line on the offensive end, who's had 100 goals uh, before he's even played a, a game in the senior year. Um, another captain, Charlie McGovern, who's probably one of the toughest kids I've ever coached, um, is going to be is returning from injury, and he's going to be a big part of of um of the team this year that, that I don't think a lot of teams are going to expect you know because because he was on the roster last year, um and then going to the defensive end we got another two two set of captains um or three captains excuse me Ryan Puglisi, Ed Winters a uh, returning third team All American and Jimmy Conley a returning short stick defensive midi so um we feel very strong um with our guys that were coming back on the defensive end. And then uh, we got a bunch of guys returning on the offensive end that were all leagues that are a year older and worked really, really hard this summer um, and fall and even in the winter, um, you know, working on their game. And uh, this came out on Tuesday, uh, the day we're taping this interview, and the day before you have your opener. Um, you guys are ranked 11th in Division Three in the United States Intercollegiate Lac- uh, Lacrosse Association uh, poll. I mean, what does that mean to you? It means we had a good year last year, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the, we, we got to play it's a whole new season. Um, you know, which is great. It's a great honor that you know they they thought that much of us last year. But there's a bunch of polls um, that I won't name here, but that don't even have us in the top 20. So um, you know, our kids are motivated, 
and, and they just want to play this first game versus Endicott, which is coming up uh, on Wednesday. What do you expect out of yourself? What are your expectations as you head into your uh, first season as head coach? Um, um, it, as I said, you know, hopefully we uh, we can play great out of league, out of conference uh, schedule, um, go fifty percent out of league, and then uh, we'll hopefully play enough to earn a uh, play well enough to earn a home seed in the Liberty League tournament. You know, that, that's our expectation, and that's what we always want to do. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we we hope to do that again. Well, Dirk, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, good luck this season, and uh, we'll chat somewhere down the road. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Back to wrap up the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox in just a moment. Hey, NASCAR fans. It's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Each week during the 36-week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. Go to dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Get your motor running and play today. Back to wrap up the podcast, if you're a college hockey fan, look for my weekly ECAC hockey face-off selections at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. It's the last week of the regular season. It's hard to believe because it's gone fast. Uh, you can participate in the face-off selections by emailing your picks to me at shot at dailygazette.com. Of course, shot spelled S-C-H-O-T-T. I think you know that by now, don't you? <laughs> well, anyway, Union Hockey beat writer Mike McAdam joins me for the next College Hockey-Centric podcast on Friday, February 28th. We'll look ahead to Union's final uh, two games of the regular season at Dartmouth and Harvard and do a little bit about their play, playoff uh, predicament. Looks like they're going to be stuck in 10th place heading into the first round of the ECAC Hockey Tournament. And I'll have an interview with uh, Zach Ameliophone, uh, and also we'll have uh, some other news uh, concerning the podcast involving Union Hockey. So uh, join us on Friday, February 28th. If you have questions or comments about the uh, Union Hockey program, Mike and I will answer them. Send your questions a shot at dailygazette.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Gazette and Recorder staff writer Paul Antonelli and Union Men's Lacrosse coach Derek Whitteford for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shots at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Pawnee Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Pawnee Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Pawnee Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.